When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 384, Jonathan Sadler comes on to talk about his graphic novel, The English G.I., a Yorkshire schoolboy's adventures in the U.S. and Europe. Jonathan Sandler comes on the show to talk about his graphic novel of his grandfather's experiences during the war. Mr. Sandler has long been keen on World War II and graphic novels, and now his grandfather's memoir has allowed him to bring these two passions together. Mr. Sandler, thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, please call me Jonathan. Thanks you for having me, Ray. It's uh, an honor to be on this on this podcast. Absolutely, very much. And now I have to tell you, this is the second graphic novel novel that I've interviewed for World War II. In your opinion, have you seen this before? Is this is this something that might be an increased trend as we go along? I'm just kind of curious what your experience is. So it's funny you say that. When I embarked on this project, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll come into it in a bit more detail, you know, I, I did do the Googling World War II and graphic novel to ah. see what was out there. Right, and right. You may have, I mean, the, the, the absolutely seminal piece is Mouse, um, which is about the Holocaust, um, written by Art Spiegelman. Um, I don't know if you've read that, but there's, there was a number of, uh, there was another book that, that uh, was written quite recently by George Takai um, about Japanese internment in World War II in the U.S. and his own experiences. It's the, George Takai is from, from Star Trek, and I bought that book. It was, it was quite, you know, the art was great. Um, and there's been there's been many other. Uh, I've now become a bit of a collector of World War II graphic <laughs> novels, as you do. But um, what, what was the book that uh, the other book that that, that you that uh, was on this podcast? Oh, uh, Joe Lee did the story of two sisters who were trapped in Warsaw. Oh, I'm trying to remember now. It's been I think it's been close to a year now. But if you look up artist Joe Lee, I think it would pop up there. Uh, definitely. We'll do yeah. that. But yeah, nice. So, yeah, I was just wondering, do you, uh, I wanted to ask, so because it's it's battle, it's, you know, it's such a visual thing, I would think that there would be more graphic novels, you know, to get to take advantage of the medium and that kind of thing as, uh, as well. But as we're going to see in your book, yes, you can have pictures. Yes, you can have drawings. But the words still help convey the emotions uh, that, that arise while reading the story. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. th- this book came about. So I suppose, 
you know, why, why was it, did I do a graphic novel? Um, right. Uh, you know, that's the principal question I even ask myself sometimes. <laughs> um, no, my, 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 my son had a huge interest in World War II. Um, he's, he's 10 years old. He watches this, the, the shows on Netflix, uh, World War II in color. He's got just a great interest in it. My, all four of my children's great-grandfathers, they all saw combat, uh, three in the British Army, actually serving in the Royal Army Medical Corps. And one was my, the grandfather uh, that's the subject of the book, who was in? Who was British and in the in the U.S. Army? Um, but we're we're always amazed that you know uh, today how how ordinary people were called to do extraordinary things during the war. So Absolutely. I was was having this conversation, and I suddenly remembered that my grandfather had written a book um, thirty years ago um, about his. It was in 1994. It was just after the 50th anniversary of D-Day, and he'd written it all down. It wasn't just about his war. It was about um, his early life and a bit of family history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew the story, but I, I just decided to pick it up off the bookshelf because he it wasn't a you know a, a commercially published book. It was just a small book for, for the friends and family. And uh, I read it through to myself, and I just, one evening, I thought, well, you know what? This would be a good film, a good movie. Mm-hmm. But realistically, <laughs> not going to happen, is it? Right. So, yeah, and I've always been a fan of graphic novels, and I just had this. It was during the lockdown. You know, we had the lockdown too in the UK, uh, December twenty twenty. Uh, so I did a bit of research. I bought a few books, and I just said, right, I'm going to turn his graphic novel, his memoirs, into a graphic novel. And I'm going to do it by 2022, October time, which would be his 100th birthday. And I, 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 I beat my targets. So, yeah. Good. But, but actually, in, 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 in more seriousness, why a graphic novel? Um, so that was the idea. But there's the, the other uh, aspect to it was um, they're very accessible to an audience of both adults and children. Yeah. Obviously more children, but, but actually adults as well. Um, you know, sometimes people have two or three hundred page books uh, on their shelves that they're given about someone that they've been recommended. And they never read it. Right. Whereas a graphic novel is you can read it in a couple of sittings, yeah. maybe one sitting. Um, so it's not a huge investment of time, which people don't seem to have these days. Right. So that's, that was that was my that was my thought process behind it. And that, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask, was your um your grandfather's were the memoirs ever published or is it just something he wrote out? He got it out of a system, but it was just for friends and family. It was just for friends and family. Oh, right. Cause that, that, that can be amazing as well. But I just imagine you opening this book and you're going into the world of your grandfather. You know, we all love our grandfather, but we don't know much about when they were young. And then here you are getting to experience his perception of what the war was like. Absolutely. I mean, so so I would say the majority of the book he was writing about his factual experiences, what happened to him today. You know, it was chronological. It was so I had to um, enhance the book a little bit. So, you know, it wasn't a literary work. So I had to I had to take his experiences. And, and again, that sort of feeds back to the graphic novel. I really wanted to evoke the era um, so that there's a lot that happens in the book, which we'll, we'll cover a little bit in the podcast, but, you know, essentially 
He's in 1940s New York City. So this is before he enters the army. And this is just this is just such a great era. Um, you know, 1940s New York. So I wanted to evoke that. I wanted to get the buildings, the signs, really just try and get as much of that atmosphere across in the book. Absolutely. And before I ask you to introduce us to your grandfather, Bernard Sandler, uh, I do have to let you know you're absolutely right. The graphic novel, you can just pick it up. You start looking at it. You get engaged by the photos. My youngest daughter, who is a very good artist, she draws all the time, doesn't care about World War II at all. She saw me looking through it. She sat beside me. We just went through the whole book together. It took us like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes or whatever. But um, she she loved the artwork. She loved the story. And she was like, well, why aren't there more books like this? And I'm like, she's uh, 14. And I'm like, there very well could be if stuff like this keeps going on because it's, it's a great medium for such a visual story as this. Um, so, but if I could get you to introduce Bernard to us and maybe take his life up to 1939, 1940, and then we can go from there. Sure. So, so my grandfather um, was English. He grew up in a city called Leeds in Northern England. Um, he came from a very tight knit Jewish family. He was, he had a very comfortable middle-class upbringing he had a. Uh, he was the oldest of three children. His father had emigrated at the age of um, sixteen from Latvia. He'd escaped um, uh, the the, so- the old Soviet Union, um, but well, it was before the Russian Revolution, um, and he was an immigrant. Um, and um, they, he, his parents had built this successful business, and and he went to a to one of the leading schools in the city. It's called mm-hmm. Leeds Grammar School. So he had a he had a, a comfortable life. Sure. 1939, um, he's at school. He's 17 years old. A friend of him his asks him to go on this school trip to the United States and Canada. What an exciting yeah. adventure! Um, now there was a probably a dilemma: should he go on this trip or not? His parents weren't sure. Context: 1939, the war was, you know, there was definitely something in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, with, with, with you know, war was coming. Um, but they took a decision to allow him to go to the U.S. He had a, in Canada. He had a wonderful trip. September the third, 1939, just about to board his ship home, uh, and Chamberlain had declared war. The Britain, Britain. Oh. And, had entered the war, and there was a risk of um, uh, the there was a risk that the boats the boat he would be on would be sunk by U boats. That was that was that was a very real risk. And his parents made a decision; he was going to stay in the United States. They did have some contacts there. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. 
I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com The number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com That's YahooFinance.com Wow. Uh, that, that's good. I just wanted to say real quick, uh, I did a, a short series on the first six months of the Atlantic War when the, after Pearl Harbor, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the U-boats, the, America wasn't ready at all. We didn't have ships. We didn't have planes. We didn't have anything set up. Uh, and so for the first six months of the war, I mean, just, you know, over a million tons of shipping was sunk just off the Atlantic. So he's absolutely right. If he gets on a, if he gets on a boat, there is a decent chance he will never make it home. Yes, and there was a very tragic story, mm. that, and uh, it was a British boat that was sunk uh, in September 1940. Um, uh, there was th- that had children that were being evacuated to the United States on it. Right. Um, so, so you know, th- th- there was a ge- there was a genuine risk. So, anyway, that was it, we call it in the UK sliding doors moment. There was there was a film. Um, called sliding doors where you make that decision and it could be one way or the other. Um, and he made that decision to, um, well, his parents and him made the decision to stay in the United States. And that of course changed his whole life mm-hmm. and his whole year. Cause if he'd come home, he would have presumably fought in the British army. So he was, he was alone in the exciting metropolis of New York city in 1939. Yes. I love that. The way you convey that in the book, I, I, I'm a simple country boy. I grew up on military bases. So something like New York or Los Angeles or London would be very intimidating to me. And here's the 17, 18 year old guy in the heart of America, one of the biggest cities in the world. I mean, hopefully this is going to sound whatever, but hopefully he had a good time. I mean, he is in the the, the the Big Apple, where a lot of people go to have a good time. Yeah, he. Th- this is a coming of age book. So mm-hmm. he is a. He starts out as a as a seventeen year old. He's innocent. He's lonely. <laughs> right. With these people that he's never met before, yeah, he's yeah. staying with them. He has to learn life. He's he's pretty stoic. He he goes to school. Um, he starts getting uh, summer jobs. Uh, um, he works as a as, as in in the uh, as a bellboy in the Catskills. Um, he, he works in various jobs, but he 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 and that helps pay for his education at um, NYU. So yeah, he he ultimately um, you know he had a good time. But I think what this book has a lot of is turning points. Yes, uh, yes. It's an emotional journey, ups and downs. So just as he's just as he's um, past one turning point, another, you know, that, that there's highs and lows everywhere. Right. So, so let me, so he's going to clubs, he's getting a job, he's going to school, he's taking it seriously, even though he's separated from his family, life does go on. I'm sure there are certain things that were expected of him, but you're absolutely right. Now that I think about it, when I read the book, the emotional roller coaster, the journey that I that you took me on was absolutely amazing. And yes, there there are decisions that he makes which will affect his life, will affect other people's lives. And so, y- y- you kind of don't think about it too much about making decisions like this because you might get 
you might freeze up and not ever decide anything, but he has to make some kind of decision. So he's going to college, he's listening to music, he's taking in shows, it's the New York experience, and at the same time, there's always meeting the first love of your life. Indeed. He met my grandma, or grandma-to-be, at at NYU, um, and she was a keen art student. Um, And yeah, they they discovered life together. Um, They they had a great, yeah, it took them them a while, um, but yeah, he discovered his first love. Um, But yeah, in terms of these turning points, I think um, he, after having, you know, he was, he'd reached a point where he was, he was having a happy life. Right. Um, Pearl Harbor happened, you know, we all know, to, and we, so December, 1941. And it's then the, the U S government changes the rules. The, the draft comes into effect. Right. Um, right. and, and that age gets lowered and lowered. Um, and then on the 30th of June, 1942, every person born between a certain date. So I think, he was included in this draft. I think it was called the fifth draft. He, on the 30th of June, 1942, he enters a very, in a very hot and humid Washington, D.C. He, he is enrolled for the draft. He doesn't know when he's going to enter the army. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 1943, he, is, um, he, 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 he joins uh, basic training at Fort Dix. And that, for him, was quite a, a change. <laughs> From his from what was his comfortable life in in New York? Yeah, I'm just trying to think from going from Leeds to to New York now in the army where he's going to be told what to do all the time. Could I ask real quick? Um, when I got to that part of your book, I thought it was neat because of course there were going to be other there were going to be people of other nationalities trapped in the United States or trapped wherever when war breaks out. Do you have an idea of how many British citizens? And it's okay if you don't, because it's just off the top of my head. But I was just wondering how many British citizens probably served in the U.S. Army being over here at the time of Pearl Harbor. And you're right, they couldn't go back. It would have been too dangerous. Yeah, I I haven't found any I know uh, mm-hmm. any other examples of it. But I've just you know some some basic googling. I I had a recent feature article in the Times of Israel that was published. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and in that article, they did a bit of research, and they reckoned that there was actually quite a sizable amount of mm. um, U.S. soldiers who were not born in the U.S. And of those, a certain amount of them were born in in in, in the U.K. or Britain, as it was known at the time. So, um, but whether they would have been British is another thing. Maybe they would have been coming through because you know there was a lot of migration uh, at that time. So, um, yeah, I would have thought for the most part he was mixing with 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 true Americans, um, right. you know, join the army. And, and, and that's that's the yeah, you have to that's you have to adopt the American way. Exactly. Could, could I real quick? So he as we say in the as we say in America, I'm sure other countries say it as well. His ass now belongs to the army. They're going to do whatever they want. And the army decides that they need more engineers. So guess what? Yeah. He's so, now going to train to be an engineer. Exactly. So, so the this is what I was talking about the yeah. turning points. So, after his eleven, I think it was uh, eleven weeks of basic training at Fort Dix, mm-hmm. um, he he's asked to sit an intelligence test, and he passes that test, which is a great success because the U.S. government decided that they were going to train a hundred thousand of their soldiers to become engineers. 
And they were then sent across the whole range of universities, I think 100 universities or colleges across the U.S., and essentially, at that point, he was having a good time. I don't think any of these people thought they were going to join the war. Mm-hmm. And um, it's actually just a little segue. I was reading Oops. a book. I was reading a book about the war last night that came in, and it's actually a very of all the U.S. soldiers that served in 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 World War II. I mean, there's probably about 16 million of them. Very, a very, I can't remember the exact one, but it was, it was a small, smaller percentage than you would think actually served in combat. Mm. It was, it was actually, a lot of them were in, were actually in the U.S. Um, so, you know, he was there and he was, he, he went from Pennsylvania to North Carolina, up to Vermont, and he made some great friendships. And, uh, you know, ultimately he, he, I don't think I didn't get it from his book, but I got it from the research of other books mm-hmm. that um, they didn't think they were going to serve. Um, so the next, um, so it, it was this program, by the way, is called the ASTP, right. Army Specialized right. Training Program. And um, some very famous people were part of this program, including the likes of uh, the comedian Mel Brooks, uh, Robert Bob Dole, the U.S. presidential candidate and former U.S. senator. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was part of the ASTP. And um, everyone has the same story. It was February 1944. Right. Overnight, the United States government decided they didn't need to have them as engineers anymore. Mm. Now needed, they'd run out of troops or they certainly had more casualties than they'd been expected. And suddenly, overnight... They made this decision that, that their lives were going to change. They were now going into combat, um, and that was quite a uh, that was that was really something that that was quite a shock um, to them. You, you mentioned earlier about this as a book, a, a series of turning points, and you're absolutely right. I mean, he's a kid, he's a teenager, he's not even twenty, and his life has already changed so many times. And a lot of it beyond his control. But now he's going to, you know, put the books down. Here's a gun. It's time for you to go into, uh, you know, learn how to shoot again because it's probably been a while in war games. Um, so could you tell us some of about that period after he's no longer studying to be an engineer? Sure. So at this point, um, so just, I mean, just to finish on, on, on that, uh, there was a great quote Um from someone called Victor Lundy, he said, we were handpicked. We were the intellectual kids. We were supposed to graduate as captains in the engineer corps, helping to rebuild Europe and assess the damage after the war was over. And then the unthinkable happened. The army pushed to get men into the ASDP. We were promised to go to the OCS after training or to positions appropriate to their courses. Um, so I think there was, there was just, uh, I can't emphasize enough. This, this turning point was such a shock mm-hmm. to, um, there was also a little bit of resentment. There was the feeling that these people were mollycoddled a little bit. Um, and I think somebody else called Robert Kotlovitz wrote the army specialized training program couldn't last. We sort of knew that, uh, after two months, Congress voted it out of existence under sharp pressure from rebellious constituents who claimed we were being coddled. It was the old populist cry of elitism. 
So there was an elect. It was an election year, of course, 1944. So maybe that had something to do with it. Good point. So yeah, where they so he then went back to Tennessee. So the Tennessee maneuvers, Mm -hmm. and yeah, he was he was out doing war games. uh, um, And what what was particularly prominent was he was he was doing these marches. um, And a lot of I've read a lot of other memoirs, and they were doing the same things. They were marching for up to. Um, 12 hours through the night. And uh, yeah, it was just grueling. Sometimes they were doing these marches during the day in the Tennessee or North Carolina. He was in, in, in under duress heat. So yeah, it was, it was a real, um, a really, really shocking time for them having <laughs> given that they were studying only a few months earlier. Yeah, I don't know what the average temperature in the summer is in London or in Leeds, but in North Carolina, yeah, it's going to get over 100 um, and stay there. And it's going to be very humid because I'm from South Carolina right next to it. And we didn't even in, we didn't even own winter coats. That's how mild the uh, winters can be there. So I imagine he was sweating and suffering a lot. But, you you know, you do what the Army tells you to. And so I think it's September of 44 that he finally crosses the Atlantic and he lands in France. Exactly. So, so again, the, the turning points come through. So during the summer of 1944, they're, they're doing the training. Again, it's grueling, but, you know, they're in the United States. They're not in the Pacific. They're not in, they're not in Europe. Um, and, you know, they missed D-Day. D-Day had happened. Um, they come up to New York, and um, they are the first infantry uh, uh, troops to go directly from the United States into the European theater. Um, now, one of the things I wanted to really get across in the book was this, this, this voyage. Um, they were leaving New York city on the 27th of August, 1944. So pretty much we are, we're in that, it was nine day trip. Um, now, usually it takes five days, I think. Now, they had to go at the speed of the slowest vessel. There were lights off during during the journey. So mm-hmm. it would have, you know, if you think about the lifestyles we have today where we're on digital devices all the time, no one, these guys would have been, you know, none of that, of course. I yeah. mean, and, and, you know, lights off, they had to, they, they were lucky if they got to play cards. They were just rammed into these ships and they were going on this adventure or they, they didn't know what they were expecting on the other side. So I could imagine that nine day journey, the tension that would have, they would have had during that time. And it might have felt a lot longer than nine days with practically nothing to do. Uh, like you said, you can't, it's not like you can smoke too much because they have the blackout. You can't play cards because of the blackout. Um, I, I imagine those nine days felt like an eternity for some of them. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, that's and and yeah, that's sort of what I wanted to get these details across in the book. Really um, capture the pictures. And one of the um, one of the uh, lucky discoveries I had. So obviously, my grandfather's memoirs are are my primary source. Mm-hmm. But I uh, there is somebody called Victor Lundy. Victor Lundy is still alive. He's 99 years old. He lives in Dallas. He's a very famous architect. Mm -hmm. And he was in the 26th division, as was my grandfather. Um, Victor Lundy sketched every part of his time in in the army, from basic training through to the voyage, all the way through to combat in France. These pictures 
These sketches were donated to the Library of Congress uh, about five or six years ago. Uh, you can download them online. Uh, a couple of people have put them into books. Um, beautiful, beautiful sketches. He then went on to become, as I said, a famous architect after the war. Um, but these sketches were just so evocative. There were no, there were, there's a lot of photographs of World War II you can get online, but there were none of the specifics of my grandfather's journey, <laughs> of course. But this, this was the next best thing. That's so perfect. there are a couple of those sketches, including the front cover, which I've used, and I, sh I show that in the book uh, at the end. Um, if, if I could real quick, and we should probably say this to the end, and I apologize for not bringing it up earlier because I have it written right here. I somehow went right over it. Uh, I guess once we're done with, uh, with the story, we could probably back up a little bit and you can tell us about the artist that you used because uh, when I first saw this, I assumed that you had drawn it, but, uh, but I think you brought in someone that you felt more I, comfortable I, with. We'll talk about Brian. Yeah, yeah, we can talk okay, about that. And, cool. Absolutely. So yeah, you. I mean, you wanted to ask about. Hey, so he. So they arrive in 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 Cherbourg on the September the seventh, nineteen forty four. Interesting. What I picked up for some of the other memoirs that I read is um, Patton did not want them to uh, go straight into combat. So when they arrived, they actually went. Some of them went around uh, about as tourists, looking at the where the D Day landings took place. He really wanted them to to sort of rest up, um, learn the surroundings for a few weeks. Uh, so they arrived in, uh, and it was a quite a fortunate time to arrive. Remember, uh, Paris had been liberated. Um, that side of France was was pretty safe. Um, so again, you know, they they were, you know, as I said, more turning points. But he was he was in France, but there was he was pretty much, um, you know, it was it was training, it was acclimatization. Um, and um, but then, on, you know, the the 26th division that he was part of mm -hmm. um, was moved over to the other side of France uh, towards the Rhine, uh, and they joined up with Patton's Third Army. Um, and from I, I read a number of memoirs um, because my grandfather captured some of it, and and I do and I pretty much get as much as he was able to give because it was pretty brutal times yeah. that he yeah. he was fighting under um but yeah i mean people were killed on a you know it was horrific um and not only was was it just horrific fighting the weather was was pretty horrific as well mm -hmm. um yeah i just imagine this young guy you know, in new york seeing the sights then he goes to basic training he was going to be an engineer and now he's not he gets over there and again he's still a kid it's not like he's seen a whole bunch of deprivation as far as i know and now he's just you know he's seen blood and guts and death and mercilessness and he you know like everybody else he has to endure he has to adapt and i guess he does to a certain point but but then uh, the war comes personally for him and he gets wounded as well yeah and and he i mean my grandfather would be the first to say that he had a very happy and fortunate life you know he yeah he was born into a good family mm -hmm. and he he was lucky in in the fact that you know he he survived the war um he we we do know one of his um one of his friends was um a, a friend that he uh met in in um 
in training uh, called John Ebert was killed from in he was from Ohio and there's a little segue and I do mention it in the book um, there is an organization uh, called stories behind the stars that you may be aware of that is trying to write a biography of every single soldier you United States soldier that was killed in World War II wow. uh, so yeah if you haven't heard of stories behind the stars I'd look it up um, uh, it's run by somebody called Don Milne, and he has so far, I think, got about 20, they've written about 20,000 so far. So I was determined that this individual, John Ebert, that there should be a biography written for him. Mm. My grandfather had mentioned him in the book. And I managed to locate somebody called Hudson Louie uh, from uh, Medina, Ohio. Right. Um, and it turned out he, uh, and I found him online, um, you know, these days there's the, he was a well, he's, he's a, you know, he's a college kid, but he's, 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 he's into world war two research. Right. And he ended up being a distant cousin of Johnny. Right. So it was such a coincidence. He wrote the biography and we did get an article, um, written in the Bridgeport, Bridgeport, Ohio, in the local paper when the book came out. And, uh, and yeah, his, some of his family members found out about it. So that was my, my way of, of paying a, a, a very small tribute back to, to John Ebert, who was Ab killed. Absolutely. Friends are, are more precious than anything else, especially when you lose them. Could you describe his, um, the, uh, the day that he got wounded? So I, I, yeah, that I, you would have to um, read in the book. I don't want to get to too much. Sure. Detail. Otherwise, he, no. I mean, essentially, he, he, it, you know, as this, it, it's in some ways it was quite innocuous. You know, it's he, he just happened to um, uh, get hit hit by shrapnel, and then one day that's it. His war's over. Right. Um, it was it was a sense of relief, if anything. You know, you he had had. He was probably in combat for about a month, and and I think you know, he again he was the lucky one. Um, the twenty sixth division, and I've I've been part of a Facebook group of 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 children and grandchildren of veterans of the twenty sixth division, and and they went on uh, to join Patton's army, and they they went on and fight and fought valiantly in the Battle of the Bulge, uh, and then went on to to liberate. Um, one of the concentration camps um, from the Holocaust. So they had quite a, 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 an epic World War II adventure, the 26th Division. But of course, his war was cut short. He was flown to England, um, to a, an American military hospital. And at that point, he was um, he, he, he had to recuperate. Um, and there is a little bit in the book, again, I won't go into too much detail, but there is a the, the the there is a quest to be reunited with his family. Um, he hadn't seen. Right, absolutely. How could he not? But but before we leave the war, you were saying that he was in combat. What um, you know, roughly for about a month. But given that time period and everything he probably saw, that month will was probably with him for the rest of his life. Um, so he, he's tried to contact his family. He's got good news. He's still, obviously he's alive. He is wounded, but also he has met a young lady back in New York or somewhere in, uh, in America. And he wants to tell his family about his plans for her. Yeah. And, and the, this is the, the amazing thing. He's, he's, he hasn't seen his family in, in six years, but he's wants to inform them that he's, he's now, 
when he if he survives the war, which he, he had done, he was going back home to marry his sweetheart. And oh. that was that was a it's, a it's a lovely sort of conclusion to the story. And in some ways, it's the start of the story because it's the start of his new life. But uh, of course, 1945 was the record number of marriages, I think, in the US history. Right. So, so this, he wasn't alone. In- <laughs> and and beca- because we want to leave, leave some things out for the readers, we can, we can leave out the drama with her family because, you know, it, it's time of war. And when young people fall in love and they say they want to get married, I think a lot of parents are like, okay, slow down, slow down, especially in the middle of a war. So we can leave that for the... Uh, for the people, but they, he does end up getting married and they do decide to move back to, uh, England to the UK in September of, of 1946, a year later. Yeah. And I've always been curious as to why they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as I was saying at the start, he, he came from a very close tight knit family, uh, Jewish family in Northern England. Um, he had such a bond with them that he wanted to make up for lost time his, um, my grandmother, uh, and his wife to be Toby, um, wanted an adventure. So they, they decided to go and live in England and, and, uh, they, a couple of years later, my father was born. And then a couple of years after that, my aunt was born and they, um, you know, they made a home for themselves. He, he, he was part of a community there. Um, he had a family business there. Um, and yeah, he, he lived, the majority of the rest of his life uh, in in the in England, but he did have very strong bonds with the United States, obviously, and and they would go back at least once a year uh, to visit family and friends. If I could for a second, because this is the part of your book that fascinated me. I mean, obviously, war is horrible. You want to be able to forget about it, move on as fast as you can, but. It seems to me that they they find each other, they fall in love, they get married, they decide to move back to the UK, but his time in New York did make an impression upon him. Not not that I know his politics before he went to New, to New York, but obviously New York is very liberal, it's very progressive, there's the arts, there's the, the music scene, and I think a lot of that stuck with him, even though it's years later, he's been through a war, and now he's back in the UK. That part of him it seems like it was still there. Yeah, that was very much part of him. So I would say um, his family's politics were probably quite conservative as they mm. would with that sort of middle-class suburban uh, mindset. Um, but he became uh, pretty liberal um, when he was in New York and, and that stayed with him for the rest of his life. Um, yeah, so that, that it did have quite a profound impact on him, the... the, the um, his time in, in New York City. But but I think more, I mean, his, his politics were, you know, was one thing, but mm-hmm. it, the, the probably the most important thing was his love of the theater and the arts. I mean, uh, New York City was, and still is in some ways, the mecca of the theater. And that was his great love. Um, and he was able um, in, in, in the 19, early 1970s to, to start off um, a theater that's still around today called the Leeds Playhouse. Um, And he founded that. And that was based upon his experiences in New York for the early part of World War II when he was was alone and he was discovering theater. He went to see Louis Armstrong play, um, which is captured in the book. Um, You know, Louis Armstrong live in, in, in New York in 1940, what an experience. 
Yeah, I, as I'm going through this book, I'm like, the, the, he's so young, but he's done so much. You know, not not that it was all of his choosing. Obviously, he's he's uh, swept up in the history of time, like we all do. But so he's been to New York. He's been to war. He's 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 married now. He's got a family, and he, yeah, he takes his love of theater and he brings it back home with him. So. Um, I do want to save the rest of the book for the audience, but again, I, I can't, even though it's a graphic novel and people might have some preconceived notions, I mean, you do cover the family's history. The informa- You've got information on the Yankee division, details of his journey over to France, the campaign that he fought in, experiences as a Jew serving in the U.S. Army, his time in the hospital, and all the various people that he meets. Um, and there's, like you said, there's tons of photos, there's a timeline at the back, so it really did bring it all together. It was a very emotional, uh, how should I put this? It was a very fun but emotional journey to take reading your book. And I will let you have the last word if there's anything else you wanted to add, whether it's graphic novels, whether it's the artist, whether it's your your experience putting this all together. But um, if there's any way that anything else that you would like to add, I would certainly yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, there's a couple of it. So, so one, um, I it's interesting when I when I wrote this. Whenever I read a book um, or watch a movie, a biopic, I'm always on Wikipedia. I want to know as much information afterwards. Uh, I want to know what happened. <laughs> I don't want the, the story to end. So therefore, I I because it was my book. I I pr- I did probably a, a, a very extensive epilogue. I really wanted to explain. Yeah, yeah to everybody who reads the book, I want, I didn't want to leave anything out. So that's why there's quite an extensive epilogue explaining not only, um, what happened to each person, um, what, what also where I got the information from, um, in case anyone wants to, to do further research. Um, cause there were scenes that I added to the book, um, that were taken from other memoirs. So I wanted to sort of get that, get that across, um, the other thing I wanted to mention was, um, I do have, uh, there is a little flashback in the book, um, to Latvia in the 1930s, um, which, so my, my great grandfather, that's Bernard's father. He was from Latvia mm-hmm. left in 1910. Uh, and he, as he said, he assimilated into British life, but he left behind his family in, um, in Latvia, and in 1937, mm-hmm. two years before the outbreak of the war, he decides he's going to go back to his homeland and persuade his family to come back. Um, and he takes Bernard on that trip, and that trip is also captured in the book. And the reason it was he was prompted by the fact that Bernard is sitting in in New York in like 1941, June 1941, and he reads in the newspapers that the Russians, uh, sorry, the Germans have invaded Russia. Right. And he's suddenly worried about his family. And that sort of brings uh, into context the global nature of World War II. Um, And, you know, whilst Bernard had a... um, a very lucky escape in some ways. He, he, he came through the war unscathed and his father uh, was back home in England. And we talk about his experiences. Um, the family in Latvia had unfortunately a very varied and mixed experiences. And, and we talk about that in the book, including some of the family who were ultimately killed in the Holocaust. Although his great, his grandmother, 
survived having been exiled to Siberia, which was quite fascinating. Thank you very much for that. Could you tell us about your illustrator? Yeah. So when I um, said about this journey right at the beginning, um, I had to decide, um, am I going to do it myself? I'm an okay drawer, but I'm not quite at the quality <laughs> needed to, 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 to do it justice. Right. So I went online. I searched for about uh, there was there was I, I, I put an advert and about 50 or 60 people applied. But there was one advert that struck me. It was from Brian Becknoy. He's from a place called Ipswich, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And he, he wrote, just wrote the most beautiful email back to me. And I decided that um, he's going to be the one for me. We, we tr- the way in which we worked was I was fairly, I had a very good idea about every single page and how it was going to be formulated. Sure. Um, I, I researched, I found photographs of the genre. I mocked it up. I drew it out myself. And then I gave it to Brian. And Brian just did such a great job. One of the things I really just wanted, I wanted to make it real. real. And hopefully that that comes across. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking at the cover now and the buildings and the two GIs who are leaning against the railing. I mean, it is, it it just captures what the men looked like in those uniforms back then. So I just let him know he did a great, I'm sure you know this already, but he did a fantastic job and he really helped pull this together. Oh, we'll do. Certainly pass that on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's absolutely great. So I, I want to, again, thank you for your time. Um, please feel free to add anything else that you want. But for the listeners out there, this is the English GI World War II graphic memoir of a Yorkshire schoolboy's adventures in the United States and Europe. I really enjoyed this very much, Mr. Sandler. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for this book. Uh, I certainly do encourage everyone to get it. It was a great experience to sit down with my daughter and share the story of World War II, this person's life, and, of course, the amazing artwork that went with it. Thank you so much, Ray, for allowing me the opportunity to be on today, and uh, wish you luck for future broadcasts. (laughs) Thank you.